0: Well, I'd like to invite you now to open your Bibles with me to First Thessalonians chapter one, and we'll be looking at verses uh, six through nine. I'm going to start reading in verse four, just to uh, remind us of the context. So this is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit after Timothy brought news to him from the church at Thessalonica as to uh, their well-being, how well they were doing uh, in living for the Lord. And it brought such a great joy into Paul's heart. He writes this letter And it's written not only to be a blessing to the church, but to be a blessing to us as the Holy Spirit applies it to our life as well. So I'll begin reading in verse 4 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Knowing, brethren, beloved by God, His choice of you, for our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction, just as you know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. For you also became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you, who rescues us from the wrath to come. And may God bless the reading of His Word. Well, so Paul basically in this section is giving thanks to God for the effects of God's grace in the life of this church. He is thanking God that God has loved them and chosen them to be His special people. That when the Gospel came to them, it came not in Word only, but in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full assurance that the Gospel was true so that God basically granted to them the gifts of repentance and faith. And not only that, but it bore fruit in their lives as we saw last week in their work of faith and their labor of love and their steadfastness of hope. They were living Coram Deo, for the glory of God, before the face of God. And the Apostle Paul is just so thankful to God, because all of that is the outworking of the grace of God in their lives. But there's more that Paul is thanking God for. And so that leads us into our passage this morning. uh, Because those whom God chooses, He transforms. And with new hearts, these Thessalonian believers are now enabled to live a new life. And so we begin it up, we begin uh, the passage by focusing on verse 6, where Paul is going to say that they, are, they have become imitators of Him and of Christ, and they've also become examples to all the people in that whole region. So he's going to thank God that they have become imitators and examples. And that's really what we're going to focus on in our passage, our study this morning. So look at verse 6 again. You also became imitators of us and of the Lord. Now imitation can be good and imitation can be toxic. Many people today, particularly a lot of young people, try to imitate their heroes or the people that they look up to, but they're choosing poor role models to imitate. They're choosing people that are basically ensnared in the world, that they're caught up in all the worldly standards and achievements. So it's always important that we pick our role models carefully. And the Thessalonians couldn't have picked two better. Paul says, you became imitators of us and of the Lord. The us being Paul and Silas and Timothy. Now it's interesting, Paul was not afraid to challenge people to imitate him. Uh, To the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians 4.16, Paul writes, Therefore I exhort you, be imitators of me. Now that sounds like kind of an arrogant thing to say, but Paul is certainly not setting himself up as the standard of the Christian life. He is in many ways, but the Apostle Paul would would also go on to say to the Corinthians, I am the least of the apostles, not fit to be called an apostle. He told Timothy, I'm the chief of sinners. And then he also told the Corinthians that what I am, I am by the grace of God. So he wasn't setting himself up in such a way saying, look at me, look at me. You know, I'm the, I'm the standard for the Christian life. But actually, it, it's in connection with Paul imitating Christ so that ultimately the pattern is Christ. That's why Paul would also say to the Corinthian church, be imitators of me just as I also am of Christ. So Christ is now in heaven. The Thessalonians had never seen the Lord Jesus. They'd never lived with Him. They'd never observed Him like Paul had. And so Paul was an enfleshing of the character of Christ. That's why he could say, be imitators of me. But it's only imitate me as I'm imitating Christ. Ultimately, Christ is the model. Christ is the gold standard. Christ is the perfect divine standard by which we are all to pattern our lives by. And Paul is but a flawed human example, though a worthy example because of the grace of God in his life. So basically, because the uh, the early church did not have a canon of Scripture then, uh, they had very little, if any, of the New Testament, probably the first letter they had received was 1 Thessalonians, so they didn't have the rest of the New Testament. They, they did not know the Lord Jesus, so they needed human examples to imitate. And Paul, of course, certainly is an incredible example, just again, because of the grace of God in his life. The apostles were enabled by God to be godly examples to the Thessalonians because of their true faith. And they would have witnessed in Paul and Silas and Timothy their earnestness to serve the Lord, their devotion, their willingness to endure hardship for the sake of the gospel. So they were a very godly example. So Paul is writing to them by saying, I thank God because because you guys and gals in the church at Thessalonica, you became imitators not only of me, but of the Lord Jesus Christ. Of course, when we talk about being imitators of Jesus Christ, that only goes so far, right? Uh, Christ was God in human flesh, and He did things that that we can't do, obviously. Uh, In certain circumstances, Jesus would walk on water. So give that a try and see where it leads you. There are certain things that the Lord Jesus can do because He is God that we can't. So what would Jesus do? The, the, the bracelets can be helpful in general trying to imitate uh, the character of our Lord, realizing there's a lot of limitations that go with that as well. But notice uh, the point of the imitation that Paul is thanking God for. He, say, he said, you became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Now, now, no doubt they were imitating Paul and Silas and Timothy in their general Christian character, and imitating that as, as, it's a, as a reflection of the Lord Jesus Christ. But what Paul primarily has in mind in their imitation of Him and the Lord is in receiving the Word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Seems like that's, a, that's an outward flow of the nature of the imitation that Paul is thanking God for. The word for tribulation here in verse 6, or affliction, as some Bibles may translate that word, literally originally denoted a severe outward pressure that so squeezes that it causes the object to, to burst open. So think of uh, uh, grapes. So when they make wine, they would fill up this vat with all these grapes, and then people would uh, take off their sandals, and they would get in there and they'd start stomping on the... I sure hope they washed their feet before they, (laughs) they did that. But they would get in there, and they would just start stomping on all those grapes. And the pressure of their body weight would take that round grape and it would begin to to flatten it and squish it and squeeze it until it just burst and all the juices squirted out all over the place. That's what this word tribulation originally meant. And then gradually over time, it, it began to be used for all the, the pressing trials of life, the worries, the anxieties, the fears that we have that just seemingly they're just squishing us and they're squeezing us and they're squeezing us to the point of just, just bursting out because we're being crushed. We feel like we're being crushed by our circumstances. Those are the afflictions. Those are the tribulations that uh, they were going through. Why? Because of the Gospel. The true Gospel always arouses this kind of pressure from the culture and the world around us because they, they hate Christ, they hate the Gospel, they don't like the idea that there's only one way to salvation, that there's not all roads lead to heaven from the religious point of view. There's only one way. It's through Jesus Christ. And the world doesn't like that. And so it applies pressure and sometimes that pressure can can make life very very difficult even today in america much more so in countries uh around the world where the church is being persecuted far more than than here but but the culture its pride its idolatries are threatened by christianity and it lashes out and because of that the church can oftentimes suffer from affliction and, and tribulation because of our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now notice, they're imitating, first off, us, Paul says. Paul, Silas, Timothy. Having received the word of much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit, you're imitating us in the fact that we, the apostles, had gone through tribulation but they had the joy of the Holy Spirit and these believers at Thessalonica were experiencing tribulation just like the apostles had but they also did it with the joy of the Holy Spirit in their life the example of Paul and Silas in particular was in Philippi this is the the City they were in before they came to Thessalonica. And look at what Luke writes in John chapter, I'm sorry, Acts chapter 16, speaking of Paul and Silas, that when they had struck them with many blows, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to guard them securely, and he, having received such a command, threw them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. So this is a horrible... I mean, they had been beaten, not with just a few blows, but with many blows, their bodies were aching, hurting, bleeding. So here they're thrown in the innermost prison. And then to add additional pain, their feet are stuck, separated and stuck in these wooden stalks. Extremely painful. You try to lie down, but your back is bleeding and been beaten up. So you're in a miserable condition. But around midnight, verse 25, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God. Now, the ESV leaves out hymns of praise. It just says hymns. But they were not singing laments. They weren't singing the imprecatory psalms. They're singing the hymns. And and it applies. these are hymns of praise to God. So even though they were suffering, they were praising God. They had a joy in the midst of their tribulation. And that's the kind of joy that the Thessalonians were imitating. They were going through persecution as well for their belief in the gospel. And yet they still had a joy in the Lord because of it. Paul and Silas had joy in jail. A jailhouse joy. This is not a joy rooted in positive thinking or positive outward temporal blessings or circumstances like having plenty of money or health or prosperity no this is gospel joy this is joy in jesus christ that's the joy they had and this is the joy that the thessalonians had and paul is saying i praise god i thank god that you were imitators of, of us that when you were persecuted you had joy just like we did when we were persecuted The apostles had tapped into the joy of knowing Jesus. A joy of their salvation. A joy knowing that their sins are forgiven. A joy knowing that God was in control of even their trying circumstances. A joy that even though they kill the body, our soul goes to be with the Lord forever, that they have a, a blessed hope in heaven because of what Jesus did. They had joy in all of that. And it's a joy that the Thessalonians certainly imitated. You see, joy can come in the midst of your trials and tribulations when we focus our eyes not on what we have lost, but on what we have gained in Christ. See, that's the key to joy. When we're not looking at how bad everything is and how terrible the circumstances are in the world, but when I get my eyes on what I have gained in Christ, not what I've lost in the world, then I can have joy. And this is the joy of our salvation. The joy that we have in Jesus. The Lord certainly taught this to His disciples in the Beatitudes. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because... Your reward in heaven is great. You can have a joy even though you're being persecuted. If your eyes are on what you've gained in Christ, not what you're losing in the world. That's a source of Christian joy. Peter says the same thing. He no doubt remembers the Lord's words. 1 Peter 4.13 He writes to the believers, to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing so that also at the revelation of His glory you may rejoice with exultation. So there's an incredible joy we're going to have in the future, and that future joy should give us a present joy because of what we've gained in Christ when our eyes are upon that. Well, by comparison, the the persecution that Paul and Silas endured in Philippi and what the Thessalonians endured in their city... Uh, By comparison, our persecution is pretty mild. For us, it may be social rejection because of your faith in Christ. It may be a loss of friends. It may be a loss of a job. And oftentimes when those things happen to us, we're tempted to be miserable and depressed and fearful. But if the apostles could have joy in their greater afflictions, should we not have joy in our lesser afflictions and trials? There's really no reason why we shouldn't. If our eyes are on the right place, what we've gained in Christ, not what we've lost in the world. So, Paul is thanking God That they have imitated them in their joy in the midst of the trials and tribulations that the apostles had faced. But he also adds to it, you became imitators of us and of the Lord, the Lord Jesus. Because the Lord Jesus also experienced great tribulations and trials and afflictions. But he also had joy, the joy of the Holy Spirit, even in the midst of what he went through as well. And the Thessalonians were imitating, again, the joy of the Lord that he had in the midst of his tribulation. This is the way I interpret Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, when the author wrote that we're to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Now notice who for the joy set before Him, endured the cross, suffered the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For the joy set before Him, He endured the cross, and suffered the shame of the crucifixion. For the joy set before Him, facing tribulation like we will never experience, Facing suffering that we can't even imagine the depths of the suffering of our Lord as He bore our sins and the wrath of God for them. But for the joy set before Him, He went to the cross. What was that joy that Jesus had? Well, I would summarize it in saying, first off, it was the joy of doing the will of His Father. Jesus found joy in doing God's will. Do you? Is that a source of joy when we're walking in obedience to the Lord, when we're doing the Lord's will? It was for the Lord Jesus. He had great joy in doing His Father's will. But secondly, He also had joy in what He would accomplish through His death and resurrection. And dear friends, that's to save you, believers in Jesus Christ. It's to redeem you. It's to take away your sin. It's to give you the hope of glory because He so loved us. He wanted us with Him in heaven forever. And that's going to bring the Lord such a great joy that He, even in facing the cross, He had joy going to the cross because He knew His death would save you, His chosen ones, those who have faith and trust in Christ. His death, His suffering, His tribulation and and affliction would save you so that you would be with Him forever. And that gives Him great joy. So that joy in enduring tribulation, the Thessalonians were imitating as well. If you were to ask Jesus if all of His sufferings on the cross was worth it, He would answer, oh yes. I'm not putting words... (laughs) Well, I think this is what He would say. Oh yes, it was worth it. Because of my love for the sheep that the Father gave me to save. And I so want them. I love them. I want them to be with me forever and ever. Yes, it was worth it. And for the joy set before me, I went to the cross because of my love and delight in those whom the Father gave me to save. That was a joy in the midst of horrendous affliction and suffering. Well, Jesus wants His joy to be made full in us. He spoke of this in John chapter 15. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. Jesus wants His joy in saving us to be echoed in our hearts as a joy of being saved. And so what Paul is thanking God for is that you Thessalonians, you became imitators not only of us as we had joy in the midst of our tribulations, but imitators of Jesus who had joy in His suffering, in His tribulation in his affliction. The Thessalonians joyfully received the Word in much tribulation and imitated Paul and Jesus in receiving the Word with joy. This joy, of course, is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. We can't produce it. It's something the Spirit of God uh, produces within us. This is Paul's second reference to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit not only gave power to Paul and Silas and Timothy to preach the Word, but that the Holy Spirit caused that Word to come in power into the hearts of those who believed. came in the power of the Holy Spirit with full assurance of the truthfulness of the Gospel so that the Lord enabled them to believe and to trust Christ for their salvation. Joy is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. We know that from Galatians 5. And if you and I need more joy in our life, which we oftentimes do, we need to walk in the Spirit more because it's the Spirit of God who gives us the joy of God. And so Paul acknowledges this is a joy, but it's a joy that came from the Holy Spirit. And he's thanking God for the Spirit giving them joy and faith and grace to be the kind of believers that they are. So he's praising God, number one, and thanking God that the Thessalonians became imitators of them and of the Lord in receiving the Word of God in the midst of tribulation, but with great joy. Their confidence in the Word of God was so powerful that they had joy, joy in the Lord, joy in their forgiveness, joy in their salvation, joy in their future glory. And so he's thanking God that they imitated them in that way. And then we go on. Paul goes on to say in verse 7 and 8, So that you became example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. So now he's saying you became imitators of us in the Lord, but you also became examples for other people. The word for example here is the idea that um, it was also used of like a mold. So ladies, you take a a tin cookie mold and you uh, squash out your, your cookie dough. Isn't that what you do? You kind of squash it out. You roll it out. So you roll out your cookie dough. You can tell, I don't do that very much. But you roll out your cookie dough and you take your little your little cookie tin, let's say it's in the shape of a star, and you press it into the mold, and then you pull it out, and that cut piece of dough now reflects perfectly the mold, that star, or whatever it is that you make uh, the cookies out of. That's the idea of being an example. And what Paul is praising God for is that not only did the Thessalonians become imitators, they became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. They became a good example to imitate, for other people to imitate, because their lives were marked by these qualities. Leon Morris said the imitators were imitated because they became examples. So they imitated the apostles, and the Lord. And because they imitated them, other people saw them as examples and began to imitate the Thessalonian believers. So there's, a, there's an interesting connection here. Those who take Christ and His apostles as their model inevitably themselves become a model to others. And uh, Greg Bill, a friend of mine, wrote a commentary on Thessalonians said these, that disciples learn from models caught as well as truths taught. And that's really true. Disciples need godly models. Children need parents as godly models. People that you work with, they need to see us as godly models because disciples learn from models caught as well as truths taught well said to whom were they examples well in verse 7 to all the believers in macedonia and in achaia so this is this is basically modern day greece the country of greece so they, their lifestyle, their commitment to Christ, their joy in the midst of tribulation became a model for all these other churches and all these other believers. Pretty amazing. And what did they become a model of or a, an example of? Well, you could back up to verse 6. Joyful suffering for the gospel, that's certainly implied. But look at verse 8. Secondly, they became an example not only of joyful suffering for the gospel, verse 6, but in verse 8, secondly, they became an example for the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you. So the word of the Lord began to, to sound forth out of the church at Thessalonica. Now, this is the only time this word sounded forth occurs in the New Testament. It's used in the Septuagint of loud noises that come from bells or trumpets. And a weaker form of this word is actually used in the New Testament of the roaring of the sea, of a noisy gong, and even in other places of like a loud clap of thunder. So what Paul is saying, and again, he's still thanking God for them, that they became an example. And and the second part of their example is that the Word of God sounded forth from them, from that church. In other words, what they learned from Paul and Silas and Timothy, they didn't just bottle it up and hang on to it and say, well, you know, that's great, and, but it made no influence upon their life. No. They sounded it forth. They blasted it out like a siren This is an incredible testimony to to this particular church. See, the problem is today is that many Christians, their lives are kind of like the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea is a terminal point for the Jordan River. So they have all this fresh living water flowing into the Dead Sea. But there's no place for it to go. And it never flows on. To enrich somebody else. It goes into the Dead Sea and there it stagnates. And there are all these all this river water, this this life water flows in there and it dies, and nothing can live in it. Because it there's no exit point. It just stays bottled up. And for many Christians, you know, they come, they hear the word of God, they hear it, and they hear it, and they hear it, and all this. This water of God's Word comes flowing into them, but there's no outlet. They never share it. They never talk about it. They don't teach it to their wives or their kids at home. It just dies. And they become spiritually like the Dead Sea. And what we need is for us to be like the Jordan River, where the water is flowing and it's flowing into us, but it's flowing out of us as well to be a blessing to other people. That was the characteristic of the church at Thessalonica. The Word of the Lord that they had flowed into them from Paul and Silas and Timothy now flowed out of them as they shared it with other people. And so they had an incredible testimony. John Stott compares a church that has an evangelistic outreach, which is kind of what this is saying. The Word of the Lord has sounded forth from you. And John Stott says that kind of a church is like a telecommunication satellite which first receives the beam, but it doesn't just absorb it and soak it up and and stop it. It receives the beam and immediately it bounces it back out to other people. And he says that's the way the Gospel church ought to be. That's the way the church of the Thessalonians was like. It's the way Northwest Bible Church, by God's grace, should be. That we receive the Word of God but we don't just say, oh, well, that was nice. And then we stick our notes in our Bible. We never look at them again or we never are influenced or transformed. by. No, we need the Word of God to flow through us. Not just to come in us and stop. But the, the Thessalonian church, the Word of the Lord, the Gospel, the things that Paul and Silas and Timothy preached to them, sounded forth from them. This is incredible. That's why we ought to pray for our church. That God through the Spirit of God would so make the Word of God living within us that we receive it, but then we live it out and let it mark our lives as being examples to other people to imitate and follow. So that was the truth of the Thessalonians. Paul is saying, thank You, God, Because this church not only became examples of us and the Lord, or or imitators of us and the Lord, but they became examples to other churches and other believers in their zeal to carry the Word, the Gospel, outside of their church, into their community, and into even other towns around them. See, this is a church that had a vision for the Great Commission, a vision for evangelism, And we should pray, O God, help our church be more like them. And then he adds another thing that they were an example in verse 8. Not only that the word of the Lord is founded forth from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith toward God has gone forth so that we have no need to say anything. So not only were they out sharing the gospel and sharing the truth that they'd heard, they were excited about it. They'd been transformed by it. I mean, their sins are forgiven through Jesus who, who died for them and rose again on the third day. I mean, they had a joy in the Lord and a joy that was infectious, a joy that they would share. Well, not only were they doing that, but the report about them was going out as well. And that's the last part of verse 8. In every place, your faith toward God has gone forth. And this is probably the reports of other people about what the Lord was doing in the church at Thessalonica. So it was, a, it was a report that made them the talk of the town. You know, did you hear what happened in Thessalonica? Some guy travels through Thessalonica, goes on to Berea or goes on to some other city. Did you hear what happened in Thessalonica? I mean, these, uh, these guys came in and preached a new religion about Jesus Christ. And I mean, it transformed this group of people. And man, they, their lives are different. And the report about what God did among them now begins to spread throughout every, every other place in the area. So not only were they out sharing their faith, their, their transformation became the talk of the town as that was being spread out as well. Pretty, pretty incredible. So Paul could end by saying, so that we have no need to say anything. No need for you to exhort you to do evangelism. You're doing that. No need for us to tell people about what God has done among you because the report is already going out. We don't even have to go out and tell people. Other people are saying that about, about you. And then in verse 9, he just adds, for they themselves report about us what kind of reception we had with you. So apparently part of that report is is how the Thessalonians received and loved and heard and sat under the teaching of the apostles, of of Paul, Silas, and Timothy. And even that report was spreading out all over the place. So Paul says we have no need to, to add anything to that. Well, in conclusion, by God's grace, I think what the Lord would say to us through His Word this morning is Northwest Bible Church, seek grace from God to be imitators of the Lord and examples to others by your life. And you know, we can, God can use us to make an eternal difference in the lives of other people. if we we strive with God's help to imitate Christ, become an example of joy even in the midst of suffering, but just as an example of someone who's, no, we're not perfect. We have many faults. But someone who humbly is living their life to, to honor and please the Lord Jesus Christ. We can be an example that can transform the lives of other people. Your testimony can be used of God to be a blessing to others and lead others to Christ. A powerful example of this is the conversion of John Wesley. You're probably very familiar with his story. But he had come in contact with a group of believers called the Moravians who had a very living and vital faith. And they also had a zeal for evangelism. And Wesley got on a ship in the year 1736 to sail from England to America to preach the gospel to the heathen there. And on this ship, he met this group of believers who were Moravians. And he was, uh, he was greatly impressed by their godliness, their godly example. They're, they had a, a sincere faith. They were very humble people. They were devoted to Christ. And even when they were mistreated on the ship... By the unbelievers, they bore it with grace and without complaint or anger or revenge. They, they did some of the grubby jobs on the ship without complaining. They were very godly examples, and that impressed John Wesley. And then there came a storm, and the storm almost sunk the ship. And the people on the ship were screaming out in terror. Because they they thought they were about to die. And that storm hit right when the Moravians were starting one of their little worship services on that ship. And when the storm and the winds and the waves started crashing up against them, they continued to sing their songs of praise without fear. They continued to worship God in the midst of this crazy storm. And Wesley looked at that and he was just almost bewildered. And and after the storm subsided, thank God, and the ship did not sink, later he came up to one of the Moravians and he says, were you not afraid during the storm? And he responded, I thank God, no. And Wesley said, but weren't your women and children afraid? And the Moravian responded, no, our women and children are not afraid to die. And their faith astounded Wesley. And later, when Wesley was on another ship going home from America back to England, he wrote down these words. He said, What I least suspected, that I who went to America to convert others was never myself converted to God. And what gave him that impression was the godliness of the example of these other believers. That he began to look at their life and began to see the legalism in his own religion. He began to see the hypocrisy of his own faith and it convicted his soul. And so later, he went to a Moravian meeting in London that met on Aldersgate Street in London, England, and as someone was reading luther martin luther's preface to the epistle to the romans something amazing happened in john wesley's heart and he wrote about a quarter before 9 while he was describing the cha- luther was describing the change which god works in the heart through faith in christ i felt my heart strangely warmed I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for salvation. And an assurance was given to me that He had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and of death. And all that was used uh, by God in the godly example of these Moravians that eventually brought about the conversion of none other than John Wesley himself. God can use you, and God can use me. Believe it or not, He can use us. If we are seeking to live Coram Deo, if we're seeking to live our life to imitate Christ, confessing our sins when we falter often, but we're seeking to be an example of godliness and devotion of someone who loves the Lord Jesus and desires to live for Him, other people are watching. And through that godly example and influence, the Lord can use your testimony to bring others to saving faith in Christ as we seek to imitate Christ and to be an example to others at home, at work, at play. As a father sent Jesus into the world, Jesus sends you and He sends me. Go forth. Seek to imitate Christ and be a godly example And pray that God would use our lives to bring others to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus. Well, what is our message? Well, our message to the world is the same as Paul's. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Christ crucified and risen from the dead. And this is what we celebrate now as we think about the joy of our salvation as we Focus upon the symbols of Christ's body as He hung upon the cross and bore the wrath of God to take away our sins. This should be something to give us joy. It should bring us into the presence of Christ to fellowship with Him, to praise Him, to express to Him our thankfulness for saving us from our sins. This is the the Lord's Supper, and we invite any and every believer who has placed their trust and faith in Christ alone for salvation, to examine your hearts and confess any known sin, and then to freely partake in the joy of the Lord, rejoicing what Jesus has done for us. If you're here this morning and you're not a believer in Christ, then please let the elements pass you by. But reflect on the biblical truths that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And that includes you as it includes us. By nature, we're all children of wrath. We only deserve God's judgment. But Christ offers you salvation because a day of judgment is coming and no one will escape it. And God will judge and punish and condemn every unbeliever for their sin. But Jesus offers you salvation, he offers you forgiveness. But you must repent and place your faith in Christ alone. No one else can save you. You cannot save yourself. And our heart's desire for you is that you would come to Christ, that you would receive his free gift of salvation and place your trust in him. For believers, though, our joy is in remembering and celebrating the sacrifice of Christ for us. We use unleavened bread as it best symbolizes His sinlessness. And we break the bread as an outward reminder, an audible reminder of what we read in Isaiah, that He was crushed for our iniquities. Before we uh, pass the bread, <clears throat> let's uh, pause and give thanks to the Lord. Heavenly Father, thank You for the joy that we have in Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank You that <clears throat> though we are unworthy of any grace from You, Lord, you have, you have loved us and chosen us from before the foundation of the world to be Your, to be your children. That, Lord, You gave us faith and You have turned our hearts and changed our hearts. And that, Lord, our desire now is to love You. Our desire is to imitate You. And our desire is to be a, a godly gospel example to the unbelievers that are in our life. But, Lord, right now we want to focus our joy upon Jesus And we are so thankful for His willingness to lovingly come and to take our place and to die on the cross a death that we deserve to die. But He took our sins upon Himself and He laid Himself out as a sacrifice and You smote Him and You crushed Him and You pierced Him and You poured out the full cup of Your wrath that we should drink But our Lord drank it for us. And Lord, how thankful, how joyful we are that we have a perfect Savior who died for us. So Lord, receive our thanks and we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.